chapter twenty five of blackthorn farm by arthur applin this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter twenty five an exciting time singapore the chain rattled through the household with a deafening roar and the great ship swung at anchor in the roads a tropical sun beat fiercely down on the awnings and rupert dale leaning over the rail gazed shorewards at the great plain framed in coconut palms the cathedral spire rising white and dazzling out of the green fan-like leaves to the left the brown slopes of fort canning crowned with its giant flagstaff and fluttering flags round the ship a score or more of sampans tossed and jostled each other in the sparkling sea their copper-skinned owners naked to the loins gesticulating and shouting in a language which sounded harsh and vehement to his unaccustomed ears a strong pungent odour of hot spice in which cinnamon predominated filled the air while kites and eagles wheeled and swooped round him above the dancing waves singapore the gate of mystic far cathay china japan siam borneo lovely java sea-girt celebs the spice islands lands of wonder and romance the great unknown his future home what a revelation it had been to him the wonderful voyage he had never been abroad before and foreign parts as anywhere out of england was called in devonshire were still a closed book egypt the desert seen from the suez canal had impressed him the red sea with the distant glimpse of mount ararat had brought the bible story of the israelite wanderings right before his eyes for was not that very wilderness all round him what was he but a wanderer in a strange land surrounded by the desert of the sea the promised land a mere speck on the chart a tiny island away in the far northwest the dear homeland his home which he would never see again then the miracle happened first at jib then at malta aden colombo penang and now here all along the vast ocean journey four weeks long wherever the great ship touched there ashore flew the old flag his flag there stood his own countrymen on guard beneath its folds home why he had brought it with him there it was ashore now and there stood his blood brother white helmeted his bayonet flashing in the sun for witness of his birthright rupert could hear a band playing somewhere ashore and as though in answer to his thoughts across the water there floated the heart-swelling strain of home sweet home he listened entranced till the air died away and all was silent then came the stirring crash of the national anthem he remembered the last time he had heard it at the morton flower show it brought back in a flash to him the faint damp scent of moss and roses that happy summer day home and all it stood for was here it was good to be a briton and feel this glorious freedom this great sense of fellowship of ownership 
you will be getting sunstroke if you stand there with your helmet off cotton he started the spell was broken his fellow-passenger a grey-haired clean-shaven man of fifty with whom he had struck up a friendship during the voyage stood behind him with a smile on his kindly face which was lighted by a pair of keen grey eyes it sounds good to us exiles the old tune doesn't it what does he know of england who only england knows eh the chap who wrote that must have known something of our empire what and yet there are millions of fools in the old country this moment who neither know nor care whether the empire exists or not while the very bread they eat is bought with the blood of those who created it look at that long wharf over there see those piles of bales that is cotton pieces from manchester see those chests piled under that big shed tea cheap straits tea shilling a pound in any little grocer's shop at home see that steamer loading those sacks there that black funnelled one that sago that the kiddies eat at home wonderful rupert echoed and then he sighed he had left the old country a felon he had found a new world a free man with his country's flag flying a welcome and yet do you see that little cruiser over there patterson continued excitedly it's hard to realize that she's the only british warship within a thousand miles of this the most important trade route in the world no that's not a british ship that big battleship over there is a german and that other with four big black funnels is a jap and the one beyond is a russian bit of a shock isn't it when you recognize what a tiny thing the british navy is compared to the colonial empire it has to defend rupert nodded his head was in a whirl and his heart he had reached the end of his journey he was free and yet by the by have you decided what you're going to do my offer is still open your mining knowledge would be very useful to me in borneo although you haven't got the certificate of the school of mines it will be a rough work dangerous work at times as i told you for we're going to the unknown interior where the head-hunting murats live and you may not see civilization again for twelve months rupert looked him in the face patterson was a white man he knew a straight man i have thought it all over and i decided last night to accept your offer if you are still willing to take me after you have heard why i am here i can't explain everything but what i shall tell you is only what you ought to know come down to my cabin and i will tell you who i am in the saloon of the boat deserted now where they had spent so many happy weeks sharing storm and sunshine dangers and pleasures unconsciously growing to know one another as men ashore never can a genuine friendship backed by respect had been formed between rupert and patterson the former had only just realized what this friendship had done for him what it meant for him now he who had been for so many months a convict cut off from all communications with his fellows a mere machine a cipher number three eighty one patterson had offered him a job work after his own heart it was only now at the last moment that rupert realized he could not accept it could not continue the friendship that had commenced and which meant so much to him unless he told patterson who and what he was an escaped convict a felon with a price on his head 
a nice companion for this stray clean englishman who proposed to take him alone in the vast interior of wild borneo to speak to confess meant losing his first only friend it meant losing the chance of work it might mean that he would be arrested and sent back to england and prison but he had to play the game it is curious how little things affect one at a great crisis in one's life rupert had known he would have to leave patterson and refuse his offer or else speak and tell him his history and subconsciously he had decided to say nothing make some excuse for refusing his offer and just leave singapore alone it was the sight of the union jack flying from the shore the sound of the old english tune home sweet home that had suddenly turned the scales and made him decide to leave his fate in patterson's hands he thought of his father of little marjorie his sister and last of ruby the woman he loved they would have asked him to play the game so over a final drink in the empty saloon rupert told his new friend already his old friend jim patterson the story of his life his imprisonment and escape from dartmoor he refrained from mentioning any names he made no attempt to defend himself when he had finished patterson ordered another drink and then lit a cheroot having got his smoke well under way he rose and held out his hand rupert took it hesitatingly i'm glad you told me cotton patterson said i rather flatter myself that i'm a judge of character i knew the moment i saw you that you had a history i didn't want to know it but i guess you feel better for having told me a man who has gone through the fires and has got his fingers burnt is worth twice as much as the fellow who has never fought and blundered suffered and gone on fighting now then shut down on the past and get ashore you you still want me to come with you rupert stammered you still trust me patterson laughed now more than ever half an hour later rupert's bag was put into a longboat with mr patterson's more bulky luggage there was a choppy sea on and it was not an easy task to get into the boat as it rose and fell at the ship's gangway at last they pushed off patterson sitting beside rupert in the stern with their baggage piled in front of them the six malays bent to their long thin paddles with short jerky strokes and the light boat flew through the white-topped waves towards the shore beneath the slopes of fort canning where the union jack still fluttered a welcome a long canoe cut out of a single giant tree with a palm-leaf awning covering the stern portion under which two white men inclined on a mat while eight brawny malays sitting cross-legged with their backs to them bent their bronze-coloured bodies from which the sweat poured in streams to the regular strokes of their paddles in the stern behind the awning sat a steersman an old parchment-faced dyak with a small white goatee beard fierce pig-like eyes and a broad slit of a mouth which dripped a blood-red juice as he chewed his betel-nut quid he was the guide 
an old gouda hunter who knew this trackless forest these giant mountains through which the great river flowed three long weeks journey to the sea here in the far interior where no white men had been before it had become a clear swift stream with constant rapids up which the narrow canoe had to be dragged by the crew waist-deep in the rushing white-foamed water as it swirled and tumbled over the jagged rocks tropical vegetation hung in thick green masses to the water's edge while the blacker mass of foliage of colossal trees whose huge trunks shot up a hundred feet or more without a branch shut in the landscape on every hand this is the forest primeval only more so patterson quoted gaily and if it wasn't for the leeches not a bad place after all these pests hung on every leaf and blade of grass and with outstretched head waited the passer-by on whom they instantly fixed to worm through putty or breeches through coat and shirt until the flesh was reached and the blood-sucking head inserted beneath for nearly nine months now patterson and rupert had been travelling prospecting and working in this wild and dangerous region for rupert nine months of keen excitement which had almost wiped out the dreadful past but deep in his heart was embedded the memory of the woman he still loved and the memory of his father and the little homestead among the devonshire moorlands the one thing he could never forget was that he would perhaps forever remain an exile yet he dreamed of returning home one day of seeing his loved ones again if only for a few brief hours the sun was below the mountain tops and it was almost time to think of selecting a camping-place for the night patterson stretched himself and sat up where shall we land he asked in malay i don't know whatever your honor wishes the helmsman replied your honor knows best before patterson could reply a huge tree on the right bank not twenty yards ahead crashed down right across the stream its great branches throwing up a column of water while its dense top was locked in the foliage of the other bank murat murat shouted the malays turn quick quick the water swirled beneath the swift strokes of the paddles as they turned the canoe in its own length a sudden crack with the rending sound of a falling tree caused them to pause with paddles in the air as another giant of the forest crashed down the stream below them instantly a shot rang out from the jungle and the air was filled with yells of hoot kaput the dread war-cry of the head-hunting murats naked figures climbed over the fallen trees that hemmed them in and musket-shots from both banks added to the din though the bullets whizzed high overhead or harmlessly struck the water at the first alarm rupert and patterson had seized their rifles and opened fire patterson shouting orders to keep the canoe in midstream fire at the men on the tree ahead cotton he said we must force a passage upstream good shot as a murat who had reached the middle of the tree threw up his arms and toppled face down into the stream two more were lying limp in the tangle of branches and another went splashing and spluttering past the canoe the swift running current red with his blood 
suddenly the man in the bows leaped up with a shriek that ran high above the noise of the fight his eyes starting from his head with horror as he stared at a tiny bamboo shaft that he held in his left hand while his right plucked convulsively at his side from which a few drops of blood were oozing slowly he sank to his knees while his fellow paddlemen huddled away from him muttering the dread words upas upas poison he's hit as the cruel poison began to work the poor fellow's face became livid and his limbs contorted with agony and soon he lay a knotted and inanimate mass of twisted limbs in the bottom of the canoe the deadly blowpipe is the murat's chief weapon for guns are few and only obtained where the arab trader has penetrated to buy gutta and other jungle produce the blowpipe is about six feet long and is bored with wonderful skill from a perfectly straight piece of seasoned hard wood its darts are made from bamboo thin as a knitting needle and with a very sharp point which is nearly cut through so that it breaks off in the wound before the dart can be withdrawn a piece of pith that exactly fits the bore of the tube is fixed to the other end of the dart and so powerful is this primitive weapon that a skilled warrior can blow a dart with extreme accuracy to forty or even fifty yards range the malay next rupert dropped his paddle which floated away and when he looked at him he saw a thin line of blood running down his face from a hole in his left temple he was stone dead but still squatted in his place a bullet now broke the steersman's unju's paddle and the canoe began to drift towards the bank it had all happened so quickly that they had scarcely time to realize their danger and it was not till a shower of spears had wounded unju and killed the other two malays that patterson saw they were almost ashore quick cotton paddle for your life he shouted and seizing a paddle he tried to turn the bow of the canoe to the stream again but it was too late a score of naked forms leapt from the bank and threw themselves upon the canoe which filled with water and surrounded by shrieking savages was soon fast wedged in the undergrowth on the ware side it would have gone hard with the two white men for a dozen spears were poised against them when unju the dyak yelling his war-cry leapt into the midst of the murats his heavy parang swung by an arm of steel cleaving through skull and shoulder breast or back and sending death and destruction on every side in a moment he had cleared a circle round the canoe suddenly a shot rang out and unju collapsed into rupert's arms and an instant later a tall native with a winchester repeating rifle in his hand stepped from behind a tree and signing to the murats to keep back approached the canoe he wore a short arab coat a pair of tight-fitting sluar and a small handkerchief turban of stiff gold embroidery round his head an aquiline nose two piercing black eyes set very close together and a small black moustache that covered but did not hide a thin cruel mouth showed that the newcomer was not a murat he addressed patterson in malay with the peculiar drawl of the bruni noble surrender and the murat shall not kill you touch not your guns but step upon the land he then turned to the murats and gave some orders in their own language 
unju had sat up and rupert was trying to staunch the bullet wound in his left shoulder with patterson's assistance they lifted him from the canoe and laid him against a tree on the river bank the murats were cutting branches of trees and with a few rattans soon constructed a rough litter what fate awaited them rupert hardly dared to guess that their lives had been spared was evidently due to the presence of the bruni chief whom they learnt later on was an outlaw and a desperado called mat Saleh, who in his young days had been a pirate and was a native of sulu an island of the north coast old unju knew him well by reputation and seemed to fear him far more than he did the murats whom he really despised mat Saleh had obtained a great influence over the murats of the interior who believed him to be invulnerable and possessed with supernatural power when the litter was ready mat Saleh ordered them to march behind it and surrounded by armed murats and preceded by others carrying the gory heads of the poor malays they started up a steep mountain track through the gloom of the dark jungle after about an hour's march they emerged from the forest into a large clearing where paddy and sweet potatoes were planted at the top of a conical hill in the centre of this clearing was a high stockade of bamboo enclosing some dozen houses on piles and thatched with palm leaves as the long procession entered the clearing a great hubbub arose out in the village the deep notes of a big war-gong mingled with the shrill cries of the women who poured out of a gateway and danced down towards the approaching warriors the sun had set and it was nearly dark though a bright moon lighted up the clearing throwing the stockade and houses into black relief against the opal sky rupert glanced at patterson the latter shrugged his shoulders we're in for it i'm afraid cotton sorry old man but while there's life there's hope as they entered the stockade flames shot up from a huge fire that had just been lit inside and the ruddy glow thrown on the bronze figures of the men and the naked bodies of the women who surrounded them made the scene so weird and eerie that rupert's blood ran cold with dread of what was about to happen in this devil's cauldron at one end of the enclosure was a long house with an open veranda about six feet above the ground against which was placed a single bamboo in which notches had been cut to form steps by this mat Saleh and the murat chiefs mounted and squatting round a huge jar began to refresh themselves by sucking a reed that was inserted in the top similar jars were placed near the fire and groups of warriors quickly surrounded them patterson and rupert were dragged to the fire and poor wounded unju was also dragged there by a horrible old hag who appeared to be the mistress of the ceremonies the women now took the heads still dripping with blood and began to slowly dance round the fire chanting a deep song with a high wailing note at the end of each stave their long black hair hung straight to their waists they were naked save for a dark cloth of bark round their loins the great wooden gong beat time and throbbed on the still night air gradually the time became faster 
and men and women from the drinking jars joined in the dance the gory heads were tossed from hand to hand and it was evident to the unfortunate prisoners that the drink was beginning to inflame the dancers spears and parangs flashed in the firelight and old unju who had hitherto remained motionless stirred uneasily and at last spoke to patterson in a low voice beware old chief for they will take our heads presently when their blood is fired by drink patterson nodded i'm afraid i've given you a poor run for your money cotton he whispered rupert smiled i'm all right glad we're together at this moment a band of women were seen advancing from the chief's house leading two youths who were to be initiated as warriors they each carried a head by the hair and were led into the circle of dancers the same old hag who had conducted the dance now smeared the youths with blood shrieking an invocation to which the crowd replied at intervals with a shout of ow next an old warrior stepped forward and broke off their two front teeth with the aid of a stone and a short iron instrument afterwards filing the stumps off to the gums this was done to enable the sumpitan or blowpipe to be used with greater facility and is the sign of manhood more jars of tapi rice spirit were broached and every one gave themselves up to drinking patterson whispered to unju and asked him if he was able to walk to which the old man replied that he could walk all night if his head remained on his shoulders about which he expressed some misgivings listen said patterson in a short time the moon will be down they put green boughs on the fires to smoke the heads while they drink it is pitch dark under the stockade and most of the men are already drunk if we can crawl one by one to the stockade without being seen we can overpower the man at the gate and once outside unju must guide us to the river it is a desperate venture but to remain here is certain death unju shook his head on the whole he preferred to remain where he was their lives were in the hands of fate to go or stay it would come to the same thing in the end patterson turned impatiently to rupert what do you say at least we shall be doing something and anyway get a fight for our lives this inaction is getting on my nerves rupert managed to laugh it is a bit dull i almost feel as if i were watching my own head being smoke-dried over that beastly fire it was agreed that at a signal from patterson each man should begin to creep towards the stockade keeping as far apart as possible if one was discovered and caught the other two were to make a dash for it trusting to the excitement and drunken confusion to get away patterson drew a ring off his finger a plain gold band and gave it to rupert asking him in the event of his getting away and patterson being caught to give it to a certain person he named and whose address rupert would find at the national bank singapore anything i can do for you old man if if you're unlucky rupert thought for a moment there's a girl i love called ruby strode you will probably find her at the ingenue theatre london tell her that i understood and appreciated everything she did on my behalf tell her she was my last thought right ho patterson replied cheerily now crawl a few feet away and lie low until you hear me whistle twice then make for the stockade on your hands and knees 
each man for himself remember it's our only chance rupert gripped his hand the next moment he found himself alone by the faint light of the flames from the fire he could see the hideous naked figures of the murats dancing to and fro men and women they reeled leapt staggered the rice spirit was doing its deadly work and already they were mad with excitement suddenly above the noise rupert heard two long low whistles he turned over on his hands and knees but as he did so he heard a wild yell the hag-like woman had seen him patterson was discovered too a score of writhing steel-coloured blood-stained bodies reeled towards them closed round them cutting off all chance of escape rupert saw patterson rise to his feet he followed his example giving himself up for lost the flames from the bow-fed fire leaped up brightly for a moment then died down again making the night inky black End of chapter twenty five